First Advent. is found in Galatians chapter 4, where Scripture tells us, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. I want you to consider those words, to, to catch those words in the fullness of time. It's not an expression used frequently in Scripture. But it means at the right time, at the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. You see, for almost 400 years, it seemed that God was silent. But I want to tell you this morning, he was not inactive. Long before Jesus' birth, God was preparing the way. And as we talk about this first advent, the coming of a Savior born as a man, 100% God, 100% man, the incarnation, after 400 years at the right time, God moved and God began to speak because God was always at work preparing the way. And one of the ways he was preparing the way for the coming Savior was through prophecy. You see, God was preparing For the very revealing of his son, born of a virgin, of the house and lineage of David, in the city of Bethlehem, just as the prophets had foretold. Now, Albert Barnes, in his commentary, writes, It was just the time when all the prophecies centered in Christ, and there could be no doubt about their fulfillment. It was important that such an event should be predicted in order that there might be full evidence that he came from heaven. And yet in order that prophecy may be seen to have been uttered by God, it must must be so far before the event as to make it impossible to have been the result of mere human conjecture. You see, as Paul introduced himself in writing to the church in Rome, he declared that he was an apostle who had been set apart as an ambassador of the gospel And then he penned these words, the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Moses wrote of what Christ would do. Isaiah wrote of his birth and his death. David wrote of his victory, but also his suffering. Jeremiah wrote of his judgment, but also his mercy. Daniel wrote of the timing of his birth. And Zechariah wrote of the theology that would surround his ministry, reminding us there was a Savior coming who would be an advocate, who would cleanse, who would heal, and who would give his very righteousness to those who put their trust in him. You see, the the Lord was at work even when it seemed he was silent, pulling together all of the events to make the prophecy be fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. Let me just give you a couple of examples. The very first prophecy in Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where the Lord spoke and said, I will put enmity 
between you, between you, speaking of the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that scripture was fulfilled in the verse we just read in Galatians chapter 4 that God sent forth his son born of a woman. The very Messiah, the very Savior, the one that would crush all the enemies of life was born the seed of a woman in fulfillment of scroff prophecy given some maybe six, seven thousand years before. Consider the words of Isaiah when he wrote, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. And we see the fulfillment of that in Matthew 11, verses 18 through 25. Scripture tells us that she, this virgin, was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph did not know her, did not consummate their relationship physically until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus, Emmanuel, Savior, You see, God was preparing the way for a Savior through the fulfillment of prophecy. And I think it's Josh McDowell in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, that outlines more than 60 different prophecies that were fulfilled in the life, in the birth, in the death, in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, he goes on to talk about a a professor, Stoner, a mathematician, one who was studied probability and statistics, and he said just for one man to fulfill even eight of these prophecies would have the same chance as a one in 10 to the 17th power chance. Now, if you want to know what that is, that's a 10 with 17 zeros behind it. Billion, trillion, zillion, I don't even know what you'd call that. But to illustrate it, here's what he said. It would be just like taking silver dollars and covering the entire state of Texas with silver dollars so that they were two feet deep. And then taking one of those silver dollars and making a mark on it or painting it a color, differentiating it from all the others, randomly stirring it out somewhere in that two feet pile of Silver dollars covering the state of Texas and then taking a man, putting a blindfold on him and telling him, you go out as far as you want, as much as you want, you pick up one coin and you say this is the right one. The probability of getting that one coin would be more likely than for one man to fulfill even eight of these prophecies, not just not even counting the more than 60 that Scripture gives us in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Christ. Now, the point here is not to get bogged down in statistics or even in illustration, but to show you that even when God seemed to be silent, He was at work in the midst of His people because He was preparing a way for the Savior through the orchestration of all of the events that would pull Old Testament prophecy together so that when people saw Jesus, they knew this is the one. And you could look at all the examples of people declaring, you're the Son of God. You're the, the, even the demons testifying of who he was. Uh, even an unbeliever at the cross, a Roman centurion says, surely this is the Son of God. It was obvious that God was at work and fulfilling his work in the coming, the first advent of Jesus. But God wasn't just preparing prophetically. 
He was preparing very prophetically. Why, why that time? Why was 2,000 and some years ago the fullness of time? Why was that the right time? You see, we have to remember that God rules over human history. And he undoubtedly shapes the history of the nations. He, Scripture says, holds the affairs of kings in his hands and runs them like a course of water through a ditch. Scripture tells us that he is the author of all things, the sustainer of all things, and in his providence he controls all things, even human history, and even the dominance of the Roman Empire. You see, it was under the Roman Empire that an enforced peace was brought to the world. You've maybe heard the term the Pax Romana in some of your history classes. Any opposition to the power of Rome was quickly crushed. So for the first time in a long time, the world was largely and had a sense of peace. Not only did the Romans bring peace, but they brought roads. They brought ease of travel. They brought the ability for speedy communication to take place. They were paving the way unwittingly because God was orchestrating the course of history so that the gospel could quickly spread throughout the world, so that the good news of great joy would be able to go to every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Not only that, but Greek was the common language spoken throughout that part of the world. It was the trade language. It was the language of culture. For the first time, there was a common language that unified most of the subjugated people so that when the gospel was written down and when the New Testament was put to pen and when the Old Testament was translated for the first time, it was into the Greek language so that everyone could have access to the Word of God. And not only that, but it was a time where the Jewish people were dispersed all throughout the various nations and regions, ready to receive the good news, God's intention anyway, that they would receive the good news and spread its message to the people around them. You see, even though God was silent, God was at work, bringing prophecy together, orchestrating the events of history so that at the fullness of time, His Son could come and be revealed as the Savior for which the people were crying out. God uses history of nations to achieve His purposes, and He was preparing the way for the Savior by orchestrating that history and the course of nations. But that's not all. Not only was there prophetic preparation, and not only was there practical preparation with the orchestration of events in history, but there was personal preparation. Because after 400 years of a seeming silence, God began to speak again. Scripture tells us in the sixth month, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, God spoke through his angel Gabriel, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You see, after 400 years of a seeming silence, God continued to speak. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these sayings, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what God had been orchestrating during that 400 years of silence. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God might have seemed silent, but God was still at work. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You see, God was at work even when it seemed he was silent. And he was preparing the way through the intervention, not just in history, not just in prophecy, but a personal intervention in the lives of his people as he was preparing the way for salvation. And about 30 years later, after his birth, after his dedication in the temple, after he was named Jesus... The scripture tells us that he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Not an accident. God was preparing the way. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant 
and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, today, in the fullness of time, today at the right time, Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And you see, this is the essence of the gospel. That Jesus, the long-awaited one, the one who came to seek and to save the lost, made his appearance at the right time. The one who came to lay down his life as a ransom for many came in the fullness of time. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The one who came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved came at the very right time. And he came to save us, not to condemn us, by taking our sins upon himself and carrying them to the cross where he died a horrible death, orchestrated by God who had been preparing the way that the Romans would be in charge and that their preferred method of execution was crucifixion. He paid that horrible death, the death that we deserved. He paid the penalty for our wickedness, and then he rose again on the third day, and all he demands is that we put our trust in him. You see, Jesus came in the fullness of time, at the right time, and Scripture declares that today is the day of salvation. The first advent was the coming of a Savior, born as a baby in Bethlehem in fulfillment of prophecy at the right time, a time that God had prepared even before the foundations of the world. Even before the first sin in the Garden of Eden, God was preparing a way for a coming Savior. See, but after the first advent comes a lot of life and a lot of living. And there are times in our lives where we feel like Israel, during the 400 years of silence. There are times when it seems that God is no longer speaking to us as if he's hiding from us. And if you have felt that way, or even this morning are feeling that way, you're not alone. Consider Job, who said, Why do you hide your face, God, and count me as your enemy? Consider King David, the man after God's own heart, who said, You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, do not be far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and Lord. Consider the words of Isaiah, who said, God, will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us terribly? Consider the words of Jesus himself. God the Son, the very Son of God, who cried out, My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? You see, never mistake God's silence for inactivity. Because God is always at work. But most often in ways that we can't see and in a timing that we cannot understand. Scripture tells us in Galatians 4, let me read it again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. For while we were still weak, Scripture tells us, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Now, I can tell you that God still intervenes in the lives of his people. He still works. He still heals. He still vindicates. He still provides. But his timing is his own. Scripture tells us in 2 Peter 3, 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. God's got his own timetable because God is not measured by 24-hour periods like we are. God does what he wants, how he wants, particularly when he wants. The disciples questioned this. They were questioning his work when they asked him in Acts chapter 1. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You see, sometimes God's timing is immediate. Those of you who have been around a while have heard the story of, of the diagnosis of my son Jimmy D when the doctor said he's deaf. And it was just a couple days later that the fullness of time came for him and God healed him in a church service and opened his deaf ears. And to this day, his ear, hearing is still perfect. Uh, there, there are times that God acts immediately, but sometimes his timing is not so quick. Years back, I don't think I've ever shared this story publicly, I was falsely accused of something. When I worked for the phone company, I was innocent. My co-workers knew it, the guy that made the accusation knew it, but it still took almost two years for vindication to come. See, God's timing is different than our timing. God can save now, God can work now, God can deliver now, God can heal now, but much of God's timing is still ahead of us. There's some things I've been wrestling with for close to 30 years, and on those particular topics, God is still silent. There are things we've wrestled with as a family over the course of the last few months that God has not told us anything. It's like you're knocking on the door, and you know he's at home, but he just hadn't chosen to answer the door yet. See, God's timing is different than ours. But the reality is that everything that God does now, and God can do anything now, it's still only temporary. But there is a permanency to his work that is yet to be seen. Don't give up. Don't quit. God is intervening in the lives of his people and he is preparing the way for something much better than a temporary healing, an immediate provision, a quick vindication. God is preparing the way for our final redemption and the consummation of our salvation. And it's the event that theologically is called the second advent. The first advent is the coming of a savior. As a little baby, the second advent is the coming of a returning king. So Christ, Hebrews 9.28 says, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because he's already dealt with sin when he went to the cross, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. This is the event known as the second coming, the second advent, the return of the king to once and forever be made visible in his rule and his reign over all of the earth. 
First Thessalonians tells us, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. There'll be no more sin. Temptation will be a thing of the past. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more grief. There'll be no such thing as sickness or pain. Death will never strike again. And Isaiah 25 says these words that are echoed later in Revelation chapter 21. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth. For the Lord God has spoken. See, this really is the message of the first advent. So we celebrate Christmas. We, we call it Christmas. Others have other names for it, but it's, it's the, the real point, the message of the birth of our Savior. Because this was the message given as God after 400 years of silence began to speak again. Jacob quoted a portion of it. And they were in the same country, shepherds, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with that angel a heavenly host saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Cece and Amelia come. You see, his, breath, his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection... His continued intervention in our lives was all to prepare us for his second advent. His soon coming return to bring his people home and to once and to for all establish peace on earth and goodwill toward men. He came to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And in 2,000 years it is yet to happen, but it will happen Because God has spoken. And even now, God is preparing circumstances and orchestrating history and intervening in the lives of people to bring to the grand consummation the salvation which he so freely offers us. You see, God in his kindness planned the redemption of humankind even before the sin of Adam in the garden. And at just the right time, in the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world. His first advent bought and brought salvation to those who put their trust in him. The time of the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection is the time of completeness. A time when God fulfilled his promises of the Old Testament. And his ongoing intervention and even his interruptions in our lives continue the process of our salvation. 
We're saved when we put our trust in Jesus. That settles it. But there's a sense in that which, which we're daily being saved. Saved from ourselves. Saved from our past. Saved from our old nature. Saved from circumstances around us. And God calls that sanctification. As we're being changed more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Because one day when everything is settled, Scripture tells us we will be like Him because we'll see Him as He really is. You see, all of this is preparing us for that day that we will be finally, fully, completely saved. And this redemption, of course, will be completed at the second advent, at the return of the king. The salvation that Jesus inaugurated in the church at his first coming will then be consummated for all the world to see. But here's the question that confronts us this morning. Are you ready? Are you trusting Christ for your salvation? Are you trusting Christ with your circumstances? And are you trusting Christ for your eternity? God saves at the right time. God intervenes at the right time in the fullness of time. And now, today, might really be your fullness of time for salvation, for a change in circumstances, for the comfort that you need to keep going a little further. Today might be His advent into your life and into your circumstances and into your history and into your future because today is a day of salvation. Amelia and Cece are going to close us in song. And as you listen to these words, if you feel the Lord drawing you to the altar, you're welcome to come. It's open for you.